This episode of Gatekeeper is sponsored by CISO. Comedy is experiencing a serious renaissance right now, and CISO is a comedy streaming service tailor-made for comedy lovers and nerds, with thousands of hours of the best comedy, 24-7-365. Go to CISO.com and stream for free today. No credit card needed. Welcome to Gatekeeper, a podcast about booking from the bookers and gatekeepers who decide who's in, who's out. Also, there's other stuff. And now your host of Gatekeeper, artistic director of the Hollywood Improv, Jamie Flam. Hi, I'm Jamie Flam, and on today's episode of Gatekeeper, we're going to Chinatown. A little bit like a town, a lot bit like China, this regional haven has something for everyone. I sat down at Yang Chow to discuss who decides the daily special and also who decides who performs at their weekly open mic. The answer is Trent, and sometimes Lindsay. Then it's off to Germany. I sat down with a sausage maker to discuss the art of deciding which recipe to use in the annual Black Forest Bratwurst Cook-Off. Which competitor has the most to lose? Why? Followed by a stylish little recap in which emojis come to life. I'm the crazy little cat emoji that has two hearts where my eyes are supposed to be. And this frankfurter is frankfurting with my taste buds. <laughs> All this and more on today's Gatekeeper. I'm Jamie, and I'm just kidding. None of that is actually going to happen. Now, Bart Coleman. He is my special guest on today's episode. Bart is yet another guest with an incredible resume from front to end. For all the comics listening, Bart is the guy you need to impress to get onto At Midnight with Chris Hardwick on Comedy Central and Not Safe with Nikki Glaser. And he's currently producing the UCB show for CISO. He's booked comics for Late Night with Seth Meyers, The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, John Oliver's New York stand-up show, and the list goes on and on. His past starts in and around the genesis of alternative comedy in L.A. in the 90s, and there's no doubt he's personally had a tremendous impact on comedy and where it's at today with his curatorial eye for top talent. With my own interest in one day booking and producing for television, I was interested in finding out more about his path and how he's carved out a full-time career doing what he does. This is a great listen for comedians or anyone wanting to know what Bart looks for when he's casting. And he gives some great advice throughout on crafting a great late night set and how to make it in life, which as we've heard time and time again, starts with immersing yourself and doing what you love. We'll get to the Bart Coleman interview in just a minute, but um, right now we've got a special visit, a little bit of a drop in from AdBot3000. What's up, AdBot? Not much. How are you, Jamie? I'm pretty good. Thanks for asking. Uh, what brings you here to Gatekeeper? You now have a sponsor for your show. A sponsor for my show? That's so cool. Who, who would want to sponsor this little little podcast? CISO Network. Oh, so cool. They're, so, they're doing so many cool things. That's a, What a great sponsor. What do I have to do for this sponsor? And how, how do I get paid? First read from this piece of paper, and then you'll get paid at a later date. Works for me. This episode is brought to you by CISO. CISO is a new streaming comedy network, and only CISO lets comedy aficionados stream hand-picked, ad-free, on-demand comedy from the comfort of their favorite device and location. CISO's got all of NBC's late-night shows the next day. Fresh new stand-up every day of the year, original series from the funniest people on earth like Wyatt Senek, The Upright Citizens Brigade, and coming soon, Dan Harmon's Harmon Quest, all for just $3.99 a month. And in fact, today's guest on Gatekeeper, Bart Coleman, is the executive producer of the UCB show. 
can catch all eight episodes of Pure Sketch Comedy Gold, um, featuring the comedy starter tomorrow and your longtime UCB favorites too, on the CISO Network. Plus, they have some of the best comedy ever of all time. I think we can all agree that Monty Python and the Kids in the Hall, SNL, and now 30 Rock, Parks and Rec, and The Office, that's a pretty, pretty sweet bunch that you want to have access to. And you can get it for $3.99 a month. And it's always ad-free. As far as I'm concerned, it's a no-brainer. And um, I believe it was the Scarecrow and the Yellow Brick Road movie. I forgot what it's called. Um, I'm pretty sure he's got CISO.com streaming on his device. So make the strong choice. CISO.com. Proud sponsor of Gatekeeper with Jamie Flam. Start your free trial today at CISO.com and CISO for yourself. Thank you, Jamie. That was a really good ad read. You're a natural. Thanks, Adbot. Now here's Bart. Gatekeeper. Uh, welcome to Gatekeeper. I am excited about today's guest. Uh, his name is synonymous with uh, comedy and booking and producing. And I'm excited to have him here. Uh, Mr. Bart Coleman. Welcome to Gatekeeper. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. How are you doing today? Very well. Having a good day. It's gorgeous outside. It is. I, I'm I'm surprised you're here at one o'clock on a weekday when um, you have 17 projects going on right now, seemingly. Well, How do you have this time off? What is your schedule right now? This week's great. Um, at midnight is dark. We're in repeats this week and we'll be back up Monday. And uh, today's uh, Nikki Glazer, Not Safe with Nikki Glazer shoot. And that is later tonight at 730. Amazing. And so what, what is on your, your, your slate right now? What, what projects are currently happening for you? Full time. It's at midnight with Chris Hardwick and that is four shows a week and not safe with Nikki is one show a week tapes Thursday nights airs Tuesdays after Tosh on comedy central. And so what does a full-time job versus part-time look like in your position? Well, it basically means, um, I'm in one office, pretty much all the time. That's at Hollywood center studios where both shows are taped. Mm -hmm. And luckily for me, they're next door to each other. So I just have to walk through one door. That's really convenient. Yeah. So let's go back uh, to people listening to the show that might be interested in uh, the full path of how you got into this position of being over the year. I mean, your, your, uh, your resume reads, you know, booker, producer, segment producer, talent coordinator, talent producer. Where does this all begin? And was this always uh, something you wanted to do? Well, it all begins um, growing up in Texas as an intense comedy fan and getting to see some incredible live shows growing up. Even as a youngster, my mom would take me to shows like I saw George Carlin, mm. Richard Pryor, Robert Klein, so many of the legends that would come through. I grew up in Houston that would come through uh, small theaters there. Um, and then at home, I was just listening to Steve Martin records, Robin Williams records over and over again until I had them pretty much memorized. Mm. So really it came from being a super fan. And then I went to the University of Texas at Austin. And when I was in school there, I got to see Bill Hicks oh, wow. uh, at the laugh stop. That made a huge impact. Um, it was kind of the late, the late eighties comedy boom. Mm -hmm. So it was mostly bad, mm -hmm. but, um, I got to see Stephen Wright when I was in college, some shows that made huge impacts there. 
Did you ever have aspirations to perform? I never did. No, I studied uh, radio, TV, and film Mm -hmm. in school, and then ended up switching to history, uh, major in history, minor in English. But I um, never really thought of comedy as like a business opportunity. I, when I first got out here, was interested in cinematography. So I was like a film loader and a film like department PA, run film back and forth from uh, shoots to the lab. Really fun, interesting stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, but then I started going to comedy shows in LA as much as I could. When was this? Early this 90s? This was uh, 93. Okay. That was around the time that Uncabaret was every Sunday night at Luna Park. And that was, that was my thing. I was there every Sunday mm-hmm. obsessively and um, kind of just found my favorite thing to do. And then it became the center of my social universe. I started to become friendly with comedians and comedy writers, um, all while I was an assistant on various shows, either as a PA or a writer's assistant. And then ultimately a producer's assistant on King of the Hill oh, wow. was a great gig where I met tons of uh, comedians that came through to do voiceover work. Mm-hmm. And uh, still while I was doing all that, I had not figured out a way to actually work in comedy or in the stand-up world. That all came a little bit later in the late 90s, uh, going to Largo every Monday and getting to be friendly with Lisa Line Gang, who booked Largo. The Largo show. And that's Largo on Fairfax before it moved to. Yep. Old school Largo on Fairfax. And so getting to know um, Lisa was a great inroad to meeting even more, more comedians and just becoming more a part of the scene, um, mostly hanging out and just getting to know people. And then Lisa was very um, important in getting me my first like talent booking gig, which was for a late Friday on NBC. Okay. She was um, the exec producer of that show. And we did three seasons and everybody, at, every great stand-up at the time came through that show. So that was a huge learning experience. So how, um, and what was the format of that show? It was um, rotating hosts. Mm-hmm. So we'd have, um, on a shoot night, a host would come in and do, tape two episodes back to back. And then there'd be four or five stand-up sets per episode. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. So it was like a late night showcase. We were on at one thirty-five in the morning wow. after Conan. And, um, you know, back then, like no one was really paying attention. Like certainly the censors weren't because we got away with some weird edgy stuff. And um, I think we had a, we had decent ratings, but it wasn't like through the roof, but we were able, we had a lot of freedom to like put on pretty much whoever we were into. Who do you, who stood out to you? All right. Who are the, the people you booked that you really recall uh, having great sets? Um, looking back, I remember Mike Berbiglia's first TV set ever was late Friday. He was right out of college. He had a killer set. Um, it was early credits for people like Nick Swartzen, Dimitri Martin, um, Fred Armisen. It was one of his first sets. He actually did it twice. Uh, doing characters, mm-hmm. which was fun because we could have people come on and do weird characters. That's so cool. And weird sketches. Um, the UCB4 was my favorite, getting to meet Matt Besser and um, Matt Walsh, Amy Poehler, Ian Roberts. They came on and did a sketch. 
Um, and then my fondest memories are Greg Giraldo and Mitch Hedberg. Of course. I was a huge fan of those guys, and they both came through and did sets. Louis C.K., of course, Sarah Silverman, um, Pat Oswalt, goes on and on. And at that point, I mean, uh, some of these people had names, but really they're all still early in their career. Absolutely. How much satisfaction is, is that? I mean, do you take full credit for their success to this day? I can't take full credit, <laughs> um, but I would like to take my part credit for sure. Yeah, I love being an early booster of, of all those guys and just watching the, their careers go through the roof has been so fun and rewarding. Well, that was such a, I mean, if you look at everyone today, that that's such a rich time, the early 90s mid nineties in the LA scene, the Largo and it was, and it was really, it was pre-internet and you kind of just had to know what was going on. It was, the information was, was not easy to get to. Like, um, for example, I used to go to every Mr. Show taping and you had to have, have like a phone number and call this hotline and leave a, vo- leave a message on an actual answering machine with a tape in it. And then just hope that like, someone picked it up and wrote your name down and you'd be on the list to get into those things. But like today they, you know, they did the recent Mr. Show tapings for that um, Netflix run. And uh, you know, there were like thousands and thousands of people trying to get into those. So in this day and age, I mean, you know, juxtaposing versus that time when uh, there was no internet or it was just beginning. And the idea of the comedy nerd has changed now. If, if you're obsessed with comedy, and especially if you're a comedian, you can watch, you know, thousands of hours of your favorite comics. Um, that's going to help define your career. Um, now when you're, when you're booking shows, uh, versus then, is there anyone that's really undiscovered? Is there any place that feels like what Largo was back in the day and Luna Lounge where, where there's this untapped, uh, you know, talent in LA anyway? Well, I think Meltdown does a great job. Um, Jonah and Kamel and Emily Gordon, they're constantly introducing new faces at their show. And I'll look at the lineups and every time I see a name I don't recognize, I get excited because I know like their quality control is so high there. They're not going to just like let random open micers up. Mm -hmm. So that's probably my favorite place to scout. Um, And then I try to go to as many industry showcases as I can Mm -hmm. because there'll always be one or two people who pop up that I didn't know before or someone who's just moved to LA. Um, and I also love trying to get to other cities, Chicago, San Francisco, Austin, where there are good scenes and, um, see some of those folks before they move to LA or New York. It's a, it's an important job what you guys do and kind of balancing the well-known names that are going to bring people into the door and sell tickets is super important. But keeping the scene going and fostering emerging talent, I think, is even more important. So finding that balance, um, I mean, you, you guys do a great job, the store, the factory. Um, there's just so many, so many spots, it feels like, that um, the old complaint that L.A. isn't as good for New York as stand-up, I don't think holds as much weight because <clears throat> there are a ton of great rooms here. Yeah. And more and more, I mean, on, on any given night in the city, there's arguably 10 or 15 really amazing comedy shows happening. Yeah. I mean, you, you've seen such a, a crazy change. Like, um, and you know, talking about the late eighties boom, 
And having been part of that, you know, a lot of people are saying that what's happening now is is even bigger than that. How do you feel about that? It's definitely bigger. Um, I think there's in some areas oversaturation, like there's so many podcasts. I cannot, mm-hmm. I don't know how I could ever keep up with the 30 podcasts a week that I'm supposed to be listening to. So I just kind of cherry pick ones here and there that look interesting. But um, gosh, I mean, people in the middle of the country who can't get to the improv or who can't get to, um, you know, a club in New York or various clubs uh, in Chicago, everything's accessible to them through podcasts. So, I mean, that's the biggest change Mm -hmm. I've seen where, um, you know, comedians who are going through smaller towns are just are known now and they're not necessarily because they're on TV. Yeah. I think that's a really cool thing that's happened with podcasting is that fans of comedians are now, you know, getting the full story behind, uh, you know, comedy and how TV shows are made. Well, let's go back to the beginning of your career. So late Friday happens and then that ends. Where do you go next? After late Friday, I had a great experience, uh, with the U S comedy arts festival, uh, which was HBO's festival in Aspen. And I was a talent executive there, um, working with great people. Um, Lisa Leingang, who I mentioned before, was also um, kind of an exec consultant. Gary Mann from uh, HBO and then Comedy Central was also involved. But uh, Stu Smiley was kind of the head of all of that. So I had a great experience working under Stu. And uh, that year that I worked for the festival, it was their 10th anniversary. So they had some bigger events. There was like a Curb Your Enthusiasm panel, I remember, with Larry David. That was really fun. Um, Chris Rock was came for, they had a panel for CB4, uh, the film he did with Louis C.K. Louis was there. So much great talent turned out that year to celebrate the 10th. And... Um, I was really working primarily with stand-ups in the, the, it was a tent. We didn't call it new faces, but it was like the stand-up groups, Mm -hmm. basically new faces. And, um, so we had Chelsea Handler, Daniel Tosh, Al Madrigal. What year is this? This was, um, Oh four. Oh wow. Yeah. I was scouting in Oh three for the, the festival in Oh four. Um, some other great stand-ups that year. I don't remember all of them, but um, really fun shows and a great experience, especially the the scouting part of it because I had to watch all of the tapes that came in. Mm -hmm. So I probably watched between 500 or more submission tapes from all over the country. And some, I believe some like British as well because we were trying to be more international. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so watching tons and tons of tapes was a real education for what works and really trying to find the newer faces that hadn't had a ton of uh, industry attention yet. What, um, and to this day, what, what do you look for, you know, as a booker, what, what, what stands out to you as, for standup? I tend to really go for very smart joke craft, like joke writing mm-hmm. that is, concise and memorable. Like if I can walk away from a set and remember two or three jokes, I think it's a great set. Um, I don't really love sets that, that rely so much on crowd work and, and riffing. Mm -hmm. 
finely crafted jokes are great, especially for like a late night set. Sure. Um, and um, transitions are important from joke to joke. Um, when they just feel randomly placed, doesn't always work great. But having a transitional flow, I find really important. Something that ties it all together. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, point of view and um, Joe Craft. Those are the biggest. And when you're looking at someone, um, how much of a development eye do you have as far as uh, maybe even examples of people like, all right, their Joe Craft was awesome, but their transitions were lacking. Have you worked with anyone in, in that regard to help you know, take their act to the next level? To, is that part of your job? Definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, I give notes when needed, but I don't like to overnote. And since I'm not a stand-up and have never been a stand-up, it's tough for me to like tell someone who's been working at it for years, you're doing it wrong mm -hmm. or, or this, is, this isn't the right format. But I, I will happily say, try this different placement or we need to shorten something, uh, get to the joke quicker. Mm -hmm. There's too much lead up, especially like in a late night set, you don't want a bunch, you don't want a, a portion of time to just be the audience listening, mm -hmm. like waiting for the joke. Like getting to the joke is really important. And uh, the most laughs per minute mm -hmm. is, is uh, something you want in a late night set. So yeah, I try to help them craft it without being overbearing or, dismissive of and, what they're passionate about. And I'm sure for every different uh, job you've had, there's different uh, expectations of you. I would add Zoe Friedman on and, you know, she worked booking Letterman for several years and, you know, she was saying that, you know, so much of it was what, what David, what he was into mm -hmm. and how much freedom do you have and how much uh, does a set and it's how well it goes uh, have a bearing on you and your job. How, how much fear goes into your, your everyday? A ton of fear. Um, <laughs> but I've been lucky working with hosts that are big supporters of the stand-up community, mm -hmm. specifically Craig Ferguson and Seth Myers. Both of them do stand-up themselves. Um, Craig more than, than Seth. Seth does it when he has time. But um, they're just so supportive. They're, they want comics to do well. And so going into it, they're not they're not trying to knock it down or be critical. They want everyone to have great sets. Mm -hmm. So that's really helpful. Um, and Craig Ferguson would often go on the road and wherever he was in a different city would meet um, openers and, and uh, middle acts and invite them on the show. So that was fun to kind of see who he, to know who he liked because he saw them have a great set mm -hmm. in another city. So that, that kind of made it easier for me. Like, Craig saw this, this uh, guy or girl in Denver and he would just give me a list of names. So I kind of was able to figure out his, his taste through that. And, um, there was, uh, there was freedom at Seth as well. I would say since it was a New York show, we kind of leaned more on New York based comics mm -hmm. so that it felt like, you know, a New York experience. How long were you there? Uh, Seth, a year and a half. And I mean, it seems like there's a lot of, uh, you, your resume is so long, how much there's a lot of turnover or just, you're just bouncing around. What is the nature of uh, your job and, and producing and booking and, and how jobs come about and how you, you know, go from job to job? Sure. Well, relationships is the most important over the last, um, bunch of years. I've been lucky to kind of work with a lot of the same people. So it's been 
really rare where I come into a situation where I don't know anyone. Mm -hmm. That hasn't happened in a very long time. So with Comedy Central, um, I used to work at the network as a talent exec. And then I moved to New York for two years. When I came back, it was uh, kind of easier to jump right back into Comedy Central Productions. Mm -hmm. So I got to work on The Burn, The Jesselneck Offensive, John Oliver's New York stand-up. And I don't think I would have had those opportunities if I hadn't already worked so closely at the network as, um, you know, a full-time talent exec. So I'm just curious. Um, I mean, for any of these shows, what does that first day of work look like? And, you know, what, what do they do? You sit you in a room and say, this is what we're looking for. Like, take us through that. I think a lot of people would be interested in that. Yeah. I think a lot of that has to do with the host. Um, with at midnight, Chris Hardwick is a comics comic who knows everybody and has so many friends and so many collaborators with his whole uh, Nerdist universe that it's kind of easier to pinpoint um, what works for Chris, what works for the show. Certainly anyone who has collaborated with Chris before would be considered a great guest on At Midnight. Um, He has a ton of friends. They're all great guests because the chemistry's there. He doesn't have to, um, you know, fake that, that he's having a great time Mm -hmm. because he truly is having a great time. And, um, same for like not safe with Nikki. Nikki has a lot of friends that she loves to work with and past collaborators. So you really want to tailor it to the host and what's going to work best for the show. And so from there, I'm, yeah, I, I presume you have a list of the comics that you're targeting and they're just going down that list and, and I, from there, just dealing with, with the industry and their, their reps and. Yeah. Putting panels together, mm-hmm. finding the right combo is really important. And then the trick is availability. So yeah, we want all these people, but they're all working on other stuff. Mm-hmm. It's rare that, um, the names we want the most are just waiting by the phone right? So, <laughs> with nothing to do. <laughs> they're all working on other stuff or touring or doing film or TV. So yeah, working out the availability is really tricky and we do have a huge list. And with at midnight, there's a list of regulars who come through rotation and are, you know, very recognizable to viewers of the show. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the politics, I'm sure there's politics all over the place. How much do you have to deal with that? Um, Especially on the industry side, is is there having to keep uh, this, agent happy um, by booking one of their smaller comics so that you can get their bigger guy. Is that part of the the game? To some extent there is, that does come into play a little bit. Um, You know, I have great relationships with most of the top comedy managers in town Mm -hmm. and they've been great about supporting these shows. So yeah, if they have a newer client, I will happily give them a shot. And it's all part of keeping those relationships healthy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but it's not, it's not what you would think is like, I'll give you a for B. Right, right. It's, it's not. not like horse trading or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just more like these managers have been so supportive, given us their bigger clients, um, you know, supported the network and these shows. So of course we're going to be cool back to them. Yeah. And I mean, I guess, you know, most of the, the top managers have great, for talent as well. Absolutely. And there's some consistency in their rosters. Um, so you can trust that the people that they like. Oh yeah. And when, um, those managers pitch 
newer people to me, I'm always appreciative for, for the tip. And that person goes on our list for consideration. Absolutely. I love it. Something we've talked a lot about a lot on this podcast is um, the, the art of saying no. And in your position, I'm sure it has to come up a lot. Um, for sure. What is the Bart Coleman uh, Zen art of uh, passing on someone? Well, sometimes um, there's different ways to pass. Sometimes the person being pitched is just completely wrong for the format. Mm -hmm. So then it's easy to say to a publicist or um, an agent or a manager, you know, I'm not sure if you've seen our show, but this really isn't a fit. Like someone recently pitched me the host of like a very serious political debate show. And I had to like explain, this is a comedy game mm -hmm. show. It's 100% joke driven. We feature stand-up comedians, sketch, improv, comedic actors, and so on. So while I'm sure that person's an amazing political moderator, um, it's, not, it's not a fit for the format. Sure. So that's a very easy pass, and no one ever gets upset about that. Mm -hmm. um, other times, we'll get, I'll get sent like a stand-up set for at midnight. And then even if the stand-up set is great, we, our comedians, our panel guests don't do any of their stand-up material. They're doing very topical jokes, mm -hmm. mostly based on what's happened that day on the internet and social media. So that's a different skill set. So I can't necessarily tell from a good stand-up set if the person is going to be good at this particular show. So if we're not sure and we don't really know that person, um, that's another way to pass. But also say we'll keep them in mind for future consideration because, you know, down the road things could change. Is there a minor league for at midnight? Like how, how do you uh, find out? Ultimately, I guess you just put them on and... Yeah, for sure. We like to try new people paired with two regulars. Mm -hmm. So it's less pressure on them. And um, we've done it a ton and it usually works out great. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chris is another one who's always out doing sets and seeing people that he likes. And um, he'll tip me off to a new person. We'll have him on and it almost always goes great. And when it doesn't, how do you deal with that? When it doesn't, um, I could say to the rep, um, hey, we tried them. It was, a, you know, I'm glad we did, mm -hmm. but probably not going to have them back right away. What, and then, is, you know, as, as far as that gate for, for at midnight and for these shows, um, do you basically have to have a rep? It helps for sure. Um, but it's not a hard rule. How would someone get to you? How would a, a young comic or just any comic that wants to be on the show who thinks they're ready? Um, how would they cold submit to you? Is there a way they could do that? We don't do cold submissions. There isn't like somewhere to email or, or, um, do it that way. We do have, uh, the points me thing, which, um, I'm not sure if your listeners are familiar with, but we've done this twice before where we've put it out on social media and ask fans of the show or um, merging comics to uh, tag their jokes at midnight and hashtag points me, mm -hmm. which is basically um, submitting to, to be on the show. And that would be the way, the best way to get on the show without a rep or without any TV credits. 
um, someone who's just a super fan who tweets at us all the time, plays hashtag wars all the time mm-hmm. and is really invested in the show. And we track all that stuff really carefully. And, and, um, we've had two winners so far, Chris Cubis from Austin. Oh, I know Chris Cubis. And, uh, Richard Jeter from Georgia. I can't remember the name of the town, small town. He's Macon. Not, uh, not Macon, mm-hmm. smaller Atlanta. than that. Smaller than I'm that. I'm in the wrong direction. Sorry. Middle Georgia. Um, very small town and he's an IT guy, loves the show. He'd been tweeting at us for a long time mm-hmm. and, um, he was the most recent points me winner and he did great. That's so cool. I mean, how, I mean, social media, obviously an at midnight, you know, early adopter of the entire culture. How has that changed your job? Um, social media and, and everything that's happening. Well, it certainly helps us get the word out about our show. And, um, we trend on Twitter every night. Um, nationally every night and globally many nights, which has uh, helped us get an interactive Emmy mm-hmm. that we were very proud of this year. So you have an Emmy. We have an Emmy. Yeah. Congratulations. Awesome. It's not my personal Emmy, but um, I was allowed to touch it and take a picture with it. And, and then it's official. <laughs> yeah. My mom was psyched. That's all that matters. Um, so yeah, our show tries to be as interactive as possible. We're always looking for ways to integrate new technologies. Lately, it's been Facebook Live. Mm-hmm. We've gotten really into that. Periscope, we just did a whole show live streaming on Periscope from South by Southwest cool. in Austin. And that was a blast. Um, way into Snapchat. We uh, There was a time where we were doing more with Vine. That mm-hmm. slowed down a little bit. But um, we have a digital pod at the show that create content for all of those sites daily. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a great group of uh, young people that really know what they're doing in the digital space. And another question, I mean, in this day and age, I know casting, you know, you're, the number of Twitter followers you have and social media followers has a you know, great bearing on if you get put in, in a movie now. For sure. Uh, how much bearing does that have um, for, for comedians? It's important, absolutely. Um, when I'm getting pitched a new person, the, one of the first things I do is check their social stats. Um, if they're super low and the person seems um, too unknown, it's probably not a great fit, but you can't ignore some of these um, comedic YouTube, Vine, Snapchat stars of today mm-hmm. that have a million or more followers. And uh, that's, that's important because Early in our run, we did a show with um, Grace Helbig, Mamrie Hart, and Hannah Hart. Mm -hmm. And then no one really saw it coming, but that ended up getting a huge ratings uptick. And it was still to this day one of our highest rated episodes. And that was the social engagement of those those three talent. Like they put it out there and viewers came. We it's can't incredible. I mean, it's happening in the live space too. I mean, this week we have a show called Game Grumps, mm. um, which it's, it's um, I don't know much about it, but there were people playing video games on the main stage here last night. They'll be back to tonight and, you know, line around the block. Yeah, I believe it. And um, I have a 10 year old son, so I'm, I'm aware of what's going on <laughs> with some of these video game channels, especially Minecraft and... Um, if I didn't have a 10 year old, I would have no idea what was going on with any of that. Well, I'm only keeping up with it by nature of being here where, um, there is a lot more crossover at the club level, uh, 
we're seeing a lot more, um, you know, people that have made, you know, careers out of, of YouTube here. And, um, so when you're putting together, uh, at midnight, what, um, what factors go into it? What is the kind of the, the recipe for, uh, the perfect episode? The perfect episode has three comedians or comedic actors who actually know each other have great chemistry and will riff and banter with each other. Um, when at midnight gets tough in the edit is when the guests don't know each other or they're very much in their own lane and they're just like saying their joke mm -hmm. and then waiting for the next opportunity to say a joke. But um, we've had some amazing panels where it's like three legit friends or really good friends of Chris Hardwick's and they're just making each other laugh so hard that we end up like shooting for an hour. And then the challenge in the edit is getting that down to 22 minutes. All right. Um, we just did an episode recently where it was um, James Adomian and Anthony Atamanek as uh, Trump versus Bernie. Sure. And while we were shooting, everyone was laughing so hard and it was, <laughs> it was all gold. And the first act was like 36 minutes. And uh, luckily the head of programming was there that night and was able to make the call to make it an hour episode. And that had never happened before. Mm. But there's been certainly some episodes in the past that were super funny and we just, they went long and we didn't know how we were going to cut it down. Um, how involved are you in, in the editing process? I'm not really involved at all. Once it goes down to the edit, it's like a rush to get it out the door and mm -hmm. get it uploaded. So um, the edit bay is really small. And uh, as much as I'd like to be in there, it just runs out of oxygen. <laughs> just room for like two or three people in there. What is your favorite part of the job? Is it those moments of just laughing with everyone and seeing, uh, you know, your curatorial choices uh, delivering? That's certainly a big part of it. Um, honestly, it's getting to hang out with my comedian friends at work mm -hmm. instead of stressing about how I'm going to get to see them socially. Um, cause I'm not like hanging out late night every night. Like in the old days I have kids. Um, I try to get some sleep. So yeah, getting, having, um, all my friends come to me at work is really the best part. Like just keeping those relationships going and getting to, um, getting to hang out with friends at work and laughing all day is really the best part. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, the key to, to any, especially comedy, um, happiness in, in comedy is, you know, the best art is made when it is a bunch of friends just hanging out and laughing. Yeah. And, and I love hanging out with the writers because the writer's room is a really fun place to be. I can't be in there all day, but, um, we have such talented writers. Many of them are performers as well. Mm -hmm. We featured many of them on the show and um, it's great to know that if someone drops out last minute, there's a room full of hilarious people ready to go at any time. Mm -hmm. And what was the, like, uh, how, how does one become a writer on that show? What is the process for that? The writing packets go through Funny or Die mm -hmm. and um, one of our EPs, Joe Farrell, kind of oversees all of that and our head writer, Joe Randazzo. Um, is very involved in picking writers and, um, yeah, they've done a killer job and we've had people come in and out and then leave to go do other shows and then come back. So that's, that's really fun when someone 
does return after they've uh, been away for a while. But um, yeah, it's, 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 uh, I wouldn't say there's like a high rate of uh, people moving in and out, but Mm -hmm. um, after different uh, writer cycles, sometimes they, a new person will pop in. And then how, how involved are you with, with the writers and and the talent and, and, you know, bringing what happens to the table? I get pretty involved on the shoot day um, just to make sure that our talent is prepped when they arrive. And so they know that we just kind of go through the beats of the show and I'm always there with them just to answer any questions, let them know what we're doing that day. Um, talking about topical um, things from the internet that they're going to come up in the show mm-hmm. and just getting them prepped and comfortable and ready to be funny. Now, taking a step back, uh, you know, you, when you're out and about, when you're scouting talent, when you're at the clubs or um, venues looking for new talent and, you know, someone points you out, I'm sure that, you know, people and, and comics are there are excited to meet you. Is there any sort of tact that you would recommend people take? Are there things that people maybe have uh, approached you in the wrong way that you would uh, give advice uh, for the future? Um, gosh, well, I do love meeting new comedians um, as much as possible. I think that's an important part of my job, just to know who's out there and um, know as many of them as I can. That's super important. So I do love it when people come up and express interest in any of these shows. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always great. I would, I, I'm, I like that. Um, no one's ever been like rude or weird to me. I have gotten a few emails from people that were like total strangers Mm -hmm. and the language of the email was like, we were best friends. Got it. And that's a little weird. Like, Hey bro. And, um, (laughs) it just gets, it's like not super professional. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Uh, no bros. Yeah, I would, I would uh, leave out the bro. I'm not a real bro person. <laughs> um, but yeah, I get some really nice, very respectful emails. Like, I love the show. I'd love to be considered. Mm-hmm. Here's a link to my website. As long as it's professional and, and cool, that's that's totally fine. But um, yeah, kind of well, fra- something fratty talked stuff about isn't great. Too, um, is, um, you know, when, when you're talking to people... You know, and, and at the club level as well, like if someone's like, I, I, I want to do this show. My first question is, have you seen this show? Yeah, you know, for sure. And so if someone submitting for at midnight um, and having no, not seen it. Um, so I think that's advice that anyone would appreciate is uh, make sure you know <laughs> yeah, exactly what you are submitting for. Absolutely. And it also helps like um, if they're engaging with us on in social as well. If they're tweeting at us all the time, that's cool. It just shows that they're invested. Um, so yeah, we always encourage that. So at this point in your career, like where, where are the top places that you're scouting? Is, is it festival wise and, and venue wise? Like when you're out looking for new talent, where is. Sure. Um, when I can get out during the week, um, obviously the improv and, um, comedy store is great i'm i tend to go to meltdown and largo the most just because i have kind of the most friends doing shows in those spots and largo has been so important to me over the years since i first moved here 
Um, the stand-up's been great since they moved to the Coronet space in La Cienega. Um, yeah, I just kind of go wherever I think there's um, a, a good night where I can catch like 10 or more people. And um, festival-wise, of course, I love Montreal. Um, this year, I'm not sure if I'm going to get there because we're shooting during uh, most of the festival. So it's kind of crazy to fly to Montreal for like a day or day and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will try because I always love seeing the new faces there. And also I go to Austin once a year to judge the funniest person in Austin contest. And I found great people doing that. Um, yeah, it's a really good scene down there. Very supportive. Always great audiences at Cap City. I try to do that mm-hmm. um, almost every year. Awesome. And how often do you go back to Houston? Houston at least twice a year. But LA is your home. You love it. Yeah. LA is great. I also love New York. Um, I was there for two years and really had a good experience um, and try to go back at least three times a year. I love it. So, I mean, looking over like your vast resume and, and all these things you've done, I mean, what has been your favorite moment or favorite job or is that now? Favorite job of recent has got to be the UCB show. And what, is, explain what that is. That is, um, that's on CISO, NBC's new digital streaming all comedy network. Mm-hmm. And we were the first show to launch on the network. Um, to, to back up a little bit, so I've been friends with Matt Besser for many years since we did Late Friday. And I was a producer on Crossballs, mm-hmm. the show he created on Comedy Central. And um, this is UCB show is really a, an amazing new talent showcase for all of the sketch teams in-house at UCB's all four of their theaters. The first season we did really um, focused mostly on LA-based talent. Mm-hmm. Um, moving forward, I know we'd like to incorporate more New York from uh, the New York theaters, Chelsea and UCB East. But... Um, is it a sketch format? It's a sketch format, all shot at UCB Sunset, and presented by um, Besser, Polar, Walsh, and Roberts. So they kind of did the interstitials where they would um, introduce all the acts. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we had some stand-up peppered in there. Um, Josh Fadum, um, Alice Wetterland, mm-hmm. Beth Stelling, some really great stand-ups. But mostly it was sketch and solo character pieces just um, right off off the stage yeah right off the stage live audience um the four was out interacting with the audience uh before the show and some of that footage is in there mm-hmm. and um yeah i'm really proud of it i love doing it and CISO has been such a cool creative home to let us experiment and put some very strange sketches mm-hmm. on their <laughs> on their platform um, so that's super fun and I hope well, we get to do more. Like, I mean, it's so exciting right now that, that there's so much more, so many more platforms and so you, you, there's opportunity to get weirder and more niche as, as comedy fans get yeah. savvier and, and smarter. Absolutely. And the fans of CISO, I think they're really targeting niche comedy nerds who, um, who love this stuff and will show up to find the talent that they've discovered on podcasts and mm-hmm. um, from uh, other spaces as well. 
but um and they have a ton of great library stuff like some british sitcoms and uh, stuff that you could have only found on BitTorrent before mm-hmm. it's never been available to a u.s audience um yeah it's just comedy nerd heaven on that channel i love it so what um what's next art mm-hmm. what's next in your life well these show these current shows are keeping me pretty busy um it's hard to really look around the corner um this year seems like it's just flying by but um yeah i would like to keep developing with talent and find new things to get off the ground um always working with comedians that's that's the priority and um yeah have you make do you have your own um projects your own show that you would want to produce um well the ucb show is really kind of uh something i was able to exec produce Mm -hmm. and um i'd like to do more with the theater and find more ways to work with ucb talent and um, expand what we're doing now into into new areas for sure i love it what um what is your life mission life mission is to just keep making smart comedy um hang out with comedians as much as i can and funny people and um when i'm not doing that go see a ton of live music i love it what kind of music do you like it's pretty varied um people who know me well know that i pretty much only talk about the band fish all the time (laughs) um i've been lucky enough to see them 104 times oh wow that doesn't seem to be slow you must know nathan rabin uh, not personally, but, um, yeah, on Twitter for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I'm in the summers. You can find me following. Are uh, they still playing? Oh yeah. They're back. Absolutely. Solid back since, uh, March of 09. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having this me. Is fun. I think this is very helpful. I think people get a lot of it. Um, do you have any parting advice for, uh, any young talent on, um, you know, how shaping their career or, or just steps that they could be taking? to get one day onto one of your shows? Uh, it's hard work. There's a lot of bombing in, in the beginning. Um, fight through the bombing because the more you do it, it just, you get better at it. And it really is hours and uh, dedication and focus. Um, be cool to people. You know, that's a big part of the community. And I think we've seen it with comedians, um, being horrible socially right getting uh becoming outcasts if they're not guys aren't nice to women uh you know you got to just be nice to people and work hard and then um try to get into the festival circuit try to try to get into these stages get on the stage at the improv and anywhere you can yeah and the hard work pays off i love it well I end every episode with this, which echoes all those sentiments. Work on your craft endlessly, be a professional, be undeniable, and be cool as fuck always. For more episodes of Gatekeeper, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me online at jamieflam.com and at jamieflam on Twitter. A very special thanks to the Sideshow Network, the Hollywood Improv, 
Andrew Stevens, Sean Merrick, Roddy Swearingen, and producer Buddy Peace for the awesome music at the top and end of this episode. And be sure to check out hollywood.improv.com for updates on great new shows coming up in the main room and the lab.